So we're going to read down from verse 12, down through verse, I think, 18 today. No, I think we're going to read through 20, actually. And because I think what we're going today leads into a little bit what follows here in James. So let's begin with verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised of those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted or tested. We'll come back to that. <laughs> I am tempted by God. I think we in the sin nature are tempted by God because we can respond to the flesh. But, but God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's where we begin today, verse 16. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, you know, James is just full of good stuff. And we're taking on this epistle because I think it does have a lot of practicality in terms of our day-to-day existence here. All right. So let's repeat the verses that we're going to look at in more detail today. I decide whether my glasses should be on or Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might, that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. So as we've been pretty routinely doing, let's review last week, and I'm going to kind of review this with question marks after each, so you can, uh, we can discuss them further, but I think we covered this last week, but I think the question marks really relate to questions we each individually ask ourselves about what we've learned from the previous text. So the question in context, how should we interpret the Greek word periazo? Is it being tempted or tested? And I think what we said is the Lord Jesus Christ can't be tempted. He has no sin nature. So the Lord Jesus Christ in his experience in the wilderness and the entire earthly existence was being tested to prove who he really was. And my my thoughts about that for the believer is that maybe rather than thinking our sin nature, which we all have, gets tempted, which it does, maybe God is using these temptations to prove who we really are in our new creations in Christ Jesus. So that, that was the emphasis I tried to place last week. Okay. What's drawing us away? Is it is it Satan? Is it the world system? And or is it our own sin nature? Which wins here? I don't think we have to choose. <laughs> this is really an aside, but I'll go there briefly. We learned to ask questions for the American Board of Internal Medicine when I was writing the review questions for endocrinology metabolism. You never ask a question of all of the above. You <laughs> never, never do that. So we're going to ask the question. All of the above is correct here. So the question is wrong in terms of asking a good question. So we'll leave it at that. So how do we respond when drawn away? How do we respond? 
We, we abide in Christ. All right. Good positional truth, right? Yeah. Well, also, we, we recognize that, that we're out of fellowship. And so then we... Well, that's one thing. You know, you have the graph and the energy. It's a beautiful one. I'm not going to show it again. You know, but, but be tempted is not sin. No. But giving in to the temptation yeah. is an taking the bait. Taking the bait. Taking the bait. And again, I tried to say last week, you know, we need to be thinking positionally that we're made righteousness in Christ. And that's not an intellectual assent. That's really a faith belief system. I'm a new creator in Christ Jesus. Let this temptation pass. And sometimes it does it. That sin nature never changes, does it? I mean, we give in sometimes. So anyway, that's last week's lesson. Let's continue. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So, very interesting and easy question. Who's this being addressed to? Believers. And they're all like believers or beloved believers. Right. I mean, we're all beloved in the Lord, are we not? So this text is written to us. And even though it's written quite a while ago, it still is to us today. Do not be deceived as in the present tense. And it's passive and imperative. So, so how do we interpret that? Passive. Do not be deceived. Are we internally deceived? So what these various issues of leading to sin and death are really the, the world system. Satan himself was the ruler of this earthly kingdom and our own sin nature. So, you know, to be, don't be to see this right now in this present tense, but the deception comes from outside to work within. And if you think of certain faiths of the world where peace, people go into isolation, they avoid the world system, is Satan still not there? And is the sin nature not still there? So don't be deceived by thinking in some way, by physically removing ourselves from all these temptations around us, that we're going to have victory there. So don't be deceived. And that's imperative. That means it's very, very important not to be deceived. And boy, I think we have to have an antenna, don't we, in terms of day-in, day-out existence of not being deceived by all these factors that relate to Yeah. You know, it being passive, it doesn't uh, require any action on our part. The deceptions there are around all of us all the time, isn't it? Yeah, and we can, we can, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not something we do. It's something that just happens to us. Yeah, and you could say also the deception is resonant in our sin nature too. Right, as yeah. we they work together, don't as we, uh, as we hang out with that, we're going down the wrong path. And, and you know, the fact that Satan is the ruler of the world system, I mean, those two work together through that. I mean, we don't have to really divide this. No. The deception's there from all over, and our sin nature is capable of being deceived. So what James is saying here, and what the Holy Spirit is saying through James, is don't let these things deceive you. That's a passive process, but we can respond actively to that deception by sinning, which leads to death. We can also respond to that situation by actively not sinning right and by actively <laughs> rejecting it yeah but that's an act of the holy spirit is it not well, well it's it abiding it's abiding in oh, the lord yes, and yeah. when we're abiding then sin becomes right. evident i mean yeah. all of that becomes so evident as, as we look to jesus yeah. you know it's just right. we, we can see the evil yeah 
But, you know, the, what, what about the self-righteous man or woman? Or what, how do they perceive all this? I mean, you know, we have a lot of believers who, in fact, are not really ingrained in positional truth and ultimately are living under more of a legal system. Then is that, that deception is is still there, is it not? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're being deceived. No, the, but they kind of take credit for themselves. I'm doing better now. And ultimately, it's kind of a self-righteous ground they put on. I mean... I'm glad they're avoiding the deception, but yet, where's the strength to yeah. avoid it? Pride comes before a fall, you know. Yeah. They can say that as <laughs> yeah. tripping and falling <laughs> from other things, you know. And I'm having trouble standing straight these days. Anyway, all that aside. So, so why this warning, do you think? Do you, th- do you think this, this, this verse here relates to what preceded it? Or does it perhaps relate to what followed it? Remember I read briefly what followed So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, or slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do so, you think this verse, in terms of this warning, relates to what occurred before or after? There's no right answer here. I'm just... Both, yeah. <laughs> there we go again. Or is this simply a reminder of New Testament doctrine we find everywhere else? So let's look at a couple of verses. I know everything I, uh, I do, I like that scriptural basis for it. Do not be deceived, First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, evil company corrupts good habits. How about that for translation? Habits? How relates to the one naturist? I mean, some people that preach one naturist, that we don't really sin, we just have bad habits. We're, we're needing to correct these bad habits. A guy named Strong took that position <laughs> that, for some, yeah. some period of time. Anyway, uh, don't over-interpret that. Verse, I promise to share that be, do, don't be deceived. <laughs> Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Another warning about being deceived. Paul also wrote in Colossians, beware lest anyone cheat you uh, through the philosophy of empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And just finally, there are multiple examples in Scripture First John 3, 7, which we studied last year, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. How about that for positional truth? He that practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous. Yeah. Positional yeah. truth. Yeah, and we, and we can't practice righteousness unless we are abiding in him, walking with him, in fellowship with him. And it all begins with us being made the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians five twenty one. I know you you're tired of hearing me say that. But <laughs> boy, I rest in that truth. He hath made him who knew no sin, and he made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Incredibly important truth that positions us in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, perhaps uh, this uh, best relates to the verses that precede this. And I, I gotta say that I think it relates to both that the devil is a master of blinding our eyes to sin. And I think the verses that preceded is really related to all the mechanisms by which the Lord allows for us to be deceived. Ephesians uh, 4.14, uh, that we should no longer be children. By the way, this section of Ephesians relates to the body of Christ that's gone south. And that means that there's a lot of sin going on in these Ephesian believers. Uh, this verse, I think, so informative. They said, don't be deceived at anyone tossed to and fro and chartered about or carried about with every wind of doctrine. 
by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know, you know what the conclusion of this section was? Because you, verse 22 in Ephesians 4, you have not learned Christ, was the conclusion of this whole section of believers that have gone astray and been deceived repeatedly and fallen into sin. You have not learned Christ. I mean, again, that's positional truth. And in terms of how important it is in terms of our condition being molded through our uh, uh, position. Second Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. But even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then finally, Ephesians 2. Well, one and two, and you he hath made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You once walked according to the course of this world, being deceived, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan's involvement, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And just as a caution, we're not perishing ones. I mean, we're, we're you know, ultimately our salvation is when we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. But this is a warning to the church in terms of it's falling back into the ways that perishing ones will experience it. So enough about that. I think we can leave that for where it's at right now. All right. Let's go on to verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So what comes to mind when you think about every good gift and every perfect gift? Christ. The Lord Jesus. Right. What was that, Mike? The Lord Jesus. Okay, so he is the only good gift and the only perfect gift. Is that correct? We don't need to think about items or things. Yes. 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 That's Bob. All right. Well, let's see how how Paul deals with this as he addresses to the perfect and you know, it enlarges upon good. So the idea of this is even better than good. Yeah. Uh, bringing out more distinctly the moral quality of the gift. And again, I think that's all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul addresses that in First Timothy in 6, 17, where he says, Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, uh, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So everything that we ultimately in terms of spiritual quality comes from the Lord. And it's all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Other thoughts, comments here. And of course, this is from above and the Father of lights and does not include temptations. (laughs) So putting that in perspective, and it it comes from above. And I thought Constable kind kind of outlined this pretty interestingly. Constable said, from above is the trans- translation of the same Greek word, uh, an open, which Jesus used in John 3, 7, when he told Nicodemus that he must be born again. There, the new birth is the good gift from God that is in view. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that this this verb was used in the same context that mm-hmm. Christ approached Nicodemus in terms of him being born again. So, well, well, above, I, right? I, I think we can say possibly that since you know, Christ is the good 
and perfect gift from above. Anything associated, you know, because we have his life in us, all that is of that we access of him is that part of that perfect gift. So how uh, do we interpret that in terms of the day-to-day existence then? Well, he, he's our life, right? Every aspect of, of, of Christ that we count upon, his his death, his burial, his resurrection, his fellowship, all the all the attributes of Christ that we have in Him. So, so in my mind, that's the totality of the, the perfect gift. Well, but the perfect gift ultimately does what? I mean, if how we're here, I know this point. <laughs> I'm not saying guess what I'm thinking, but I am kind of saying that. <laughs> no, to the glory of God, right? The Amen. perfect gift brings Amen. glory to the heavenly Father. Right. And we could take a tangent and really study the glory. Our existence here bringing glory to our Heavenly Father and our faith. And again, as usual, I have some verses to share with you. A couple of, couple of verses, one from the Old Testament. I'm going to have four of those. He that made um, Pleiades and Orion, he turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark at night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So this idea, you know, darkness and, and light, I mean, he ultimately changes that. He's light completely. There's no darkness at all in him. John 3.31, he who comes from above is above all. Remember, from above is the emphasis here. And he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He, he that comes from heaven is above all. So from above, I think in context, really relates to the power and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in contrast, to sin. And James reminds us of this a little later on. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. This sin is a contrast to ultimately the power of the Lord creating every good and every perfect gift. So a little bit more about this Father of Lights. Why is God called the Father of Lights? And I kind of alluded to that before. Well, he created light. And then when the sun came, the Lord Jesus Christ provided that light in Genesis. And Roger? Then in First John, we learned that in him is light. He is the source of light, the sense of purity and holiness. And, well, and there's so always on. a relationship with darkness mm-hmm. and okay. sin. I like that. You know, and so if he's the father of lights, then... We're, we want to be in the light. Okay, so Macaulay, I think, uh, helps us here a little bit. Um, the word lights is used of the heavenly bodies such as stars, planets, and constellations. This gives reasons for the title, the heavenly bodies exist in lavish abundance. We have yet to discover their number. So with God, his goodnesses are without number. Linked to this fact is the truth that such a lavish gift never changes. So. That's Macaulay's kind of view about this. And by the way, this light is ultimately not variable or doesn't turn. So as we look at that a little bit more in detail, Romans 9.14, what shall we then say? Is there unrighteousness with God? I mean, the idea that the perfect glory and gift and, and is everything involved in God and there's no unrighteousness in them. So the contrast to sin is clearly stated in the scripture. And the question to, to the group is, could this relate to variation of light versus dark as the earth turns around the sun? Yeah. Well, Bob, I have a little geeky thing about variation. It's the word, if I remember correctly, it's a word, English word for parallax. 
which to make uh, a simple illustration, I mean, you know about that. If you look at uh, your uh, speedometer, if you look at straight on, you'll see you're going 60 from the look from the side. It might say 62. It depends on your perspective. Well, this is saying with that mind that that God is straight on. There's no you, there's no variation you, because man can look at it and get a different reading if he looks different directions. I don't know. That's a little bit of passage in my yeah. film. Well, a passenger say you're going too fast or too slow. That happens in parts of the usually the other way. He drives slower than I do. I'm not driving too slow, actually. Margaret didn't have to say it this morning, but it was clear that we brought food for the for the wheel of all. It was going down that hill a little bit. Martin often doesn't have to speak. So, so you could say there's no parallax with God. There's no. You can't. You alluded to it. It's the only New Testament use. Exactly. Exactly. Variation of shadow of turning is the only New Testament use of this term. And. It, it made me kind of think a little bit about the, the sovereignty of God in terms of there's no kind of earthly dimension that he exists within. He's the power of light and is not turning. So here's the, I, I promise, yes. Yeah. There's a person in Revelation too that's really clear about being the light. Okay. It's 21-23 talking about the city. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And, you know, isn't it interesting at the beginning of the Bible, he's the light of the world before the sun was created, and then in eternity, yeah. ultimately, the light is sufficient because of his glory. I mean, it, it boggles your mind, doesn't it, when you think about this. So I turn to a, a couple of Old Testament verses here. To God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man, then he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? That kind of relates to his sovereignty. For I am the Lord, I don't change. Malachi. And then in the New Testament, um, probably find many verses. First John 1, fine. This is the message which we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness of all. And John, I think, represents the light of the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. Christ better than any exactly. other apostle that writes to us today in the scriptures. So, all right. So, we, in, a, in a sense, the perfect gift and perfect yeah. um, and, and good gift or whatever, we, we, we think ultimately of things, don't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. But that gets us distracted yeah. from the source. Yeah, it, it's, it's wrapped up in a person, our Savior, so... And we all pray selfishly, don't we, for things to happen in a way that looks like a gift of God to our great being blessed in him. But anyway, well, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Go, go ahead, right. Well, just, you know, just the whole aspect of Christ and that we have, we have his life and all that entails with, you know, all those attributes we have and all the riches of God's grace that we go through that Jay Chafer has documented, the 33 riches of God's grace. In my mind, that's the totality of his of his riches and, and blessings or that's Christ and that we have all of him. I mean it's amazing. We we have all of that. You think, wow, what one or two of those would be seem to be enough. We get all of them. Without variation or shadow of turn. I know. Right? But the idea of the in the the, the planet rotating around you know, the sun and ultimately darkness and light as we currently perceive it, there's none of that with him. There I mean in a sense that's where the 
the shadow of turning might relate to the earthly existence of turning around the sun. So anyway, neat. All right, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We, I love the term truth. We all should. Truth, you know, in the, in, in the you know, greater among, there's none greater in us than ultimately the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're brought to the truth and that the truth is in him. So I think truth is such an incredibly important, you know, word to think about scripturally. Um, so anyway. Uh, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So I was a little bit puzzled by some of this verse. So let's see if we can kind of dissect this down. Of his own will is one word. Okay, since it's, uh, below my, uh, I may not pronounce that correctly, but anyway, it's one word of his own will. So below my, and there's the most follows. Which translates best to, in terms of the strong definition of to will deliberately have a purpose or be so minded or, or, or so this, this is really a created act of his God's greatest will. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I mean, that's a strong, strong word of, of his will. So in John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, each one of us, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. So that, that in a sense, is his will to call each and every one of us to salvation. I mean, that's a strong, strong word. And that makes you feel kind of special, doesn't it? That that will was directed towards Jim, or to Marilyn, or to Margaret. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible that that Word relates to us being born again. All right, he brought us forth, heirs active indicative. I'm spelling out indicative, sorry about that, by the word of truth. So how do we interpret the verb tense here? He brought us forth, heirs active indicative. What's indicative means what? It's a fact. Fact, it's a fact, okay. <laughs> active, the work of God, right? God did it. It's done to us. Okay, and Eris, how do we interpret that? Well, I like Macaulay's. He, he's helped me on that. Eris, it's a, it's an event. It's an event. So you could say that when we trusted Christ, that event in our life, he brought us by the word of truth. So that's a point in a time. point in time or an event. Yeah, okay. Now, you know, the word uh, uh, truth really is, is related to... Um, how should we interpret the word logos, which is uh, the word, a uh-huh. word of truth? Is this a written word, do you think? Okay. And or is this the living word? How about both? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're getting all the above today, Bob. <laughs> this is not a good question. <laughs> yes, yes. Second Corinthians 4, 6, this is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, which is kind of interesting in terms of our discussion, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the light and the truth being manifested. And Colossians 1, 15, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of truth of the gospel. So the word of truth is all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, but manifested in the written word that we all use the Holy Spirit to interpret. All right. Um, 
And James, by the way, continues to hint, if you read the verses, which I read 19 and 20, but it gone through 27, he continues to mention the word of truth. So this has been important not only to John and to Paul, but now James is really reiterating how important truth is. And that word of truth is both the Lord Jesus Christ and the written text. All right, how do we interpret the kind of being first fruits of his creatures? What do we make of that? Why a kind of first fruits? Mike, go ahead. I was thinking about the principle that it said the grain of wheat fall into the ground and die. The Lord was the first fruit. And we're a kind of that first fruit. All right, so that's the life of the Lord Jesus Christ being lived out as being a fruitful experience in terms of the plant world. Is that your analogy here, metaphor? Yeah, yeah. Okay, your thoughts about first fruits? Well, because I wasn't sure, I needed to turn to somebody else. Okay. So it's possible the first fruits probably refer to all Christians who persevere in spite of trials. All believers will bring glory to God's name. That's our purpose. But believers who remain faithful to Christ will please him greatly as the first fruits in Israel were a special offering to God. The Greek word translated first fruits, aparche, refers to what is first in honor as well as to what is first in order. Now, this last statement I bolded because I thought it might be worth a conversation. The biblical writers used it of persons superior in excellence to others of the same class. Well, that's why I know. We look at one another. Let's just think out loud here a little bit. When we look at one another and their walk of the Lord, I think there are certain people whose walk really is exemplary of what Scripture represents more than somebody else. But God sees them all as righteous. I mean, this is not our position to really do that, right? We can say, I'm sorry, I'm blabbing off today. I apologize. But anyway, like we see, I think our brother Hal, he was such an encouragement to many of us. His life, his life living, you know, for the Lord was such an encouragement to so many. So was he, does he get... Exceptional honor. I mean, it's kind of like those exceptional honors, and that's you know, we're all we're all in Christ. We're all His children. We all have, you know, so there's this idea of crowns possibly, but beyond that, and that's just an ability to glorify Him. So I don't know. We have to be careful here. I, I would say. Well, no, I'm just sharing what possible. No, I understand. You know, I think that a first fruit of the Lord would be one who exemplifies the walk of the Lord Jesus Christ, and which is biblically consistent, morally sound. I mean, you know, Paul didn't walk on water. No, I mean, he didn't. Yeah. But Paul, you remember what Paul said? We all look at Paul as the, the great right. example. He said, Paul said, be ye imitators of me as I also am of Christ. And that he's talking about the exchanged life. And we look at Paul, and he said, near death in first and second Timothy, I'm the greatest among all sinners. So this this humility and the walk in the Lord Jesus Christ does allow more, God has to be the judge, but more glory being brought to him in a life that looks like a first fruit. I mean, it, it's, so we can argue with what constables interpret. Let's see what somebody else says. This is Vincent. A, a kind of a, a kind of indicates the figurative nature of the term. 
time figure is taken from the requirement of the Jewish law that the firstborn of the men and cattle and the first growth of fruits and grain should be consecrated to the Lord, the point of the illustration that Christians, like first fruits, should be consecrated to God. So a, a similar but not quite that bold statement that Constable made at the end. But you see what I'm saying? I, I'm thinking that when we see the human existence in that new walk that we view, not that we want to be, I mean, how just exemplify that? And how would be the first to admit he was the greatest among sinners? We all have to feel that way about ourselves. Well, like, who yeah, works all, through us? Well, Jim, know, right? Who works through us? It's not as Christ working through us. Right. So if Christ wants to work more through you than through me, then who am I to say no? Well, well, but no, but where's the barriers there? It exists in each one of us individually, but I don't judge you, Jim, based on your walk. No. I mean, but we all kind of look at people who walk in the Lord and say, gee, you know, that's really neat. God's really getting glory through that life. Yeah. And not through me. Yeah. But through others. And we're not giving glory to that person. We're right. giving glory exactly. to that right. That's right. Yeah. But, but you know, Vincent more globally interprets it as all Christians are God's mm-hmm. first fruits. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Didn't bring in there. We're at the beginning of the new creation. Yeah. 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 Yeah
creatures should be cut out of the earth. I mean, I, we're not one of those. Well, anyway. I think science, science is very, science, obviously, scientific director, internally covers all sciences on a plane coming back from Florida. And a new species has been found. Oh, no. Something between Neanderthal and humans, which was too. Anyway, this new creature was identified. But um, I think Darby, and this is the last thing we're going to share today, I think Darby puts this section really in a very heavily perspective. So it's long, but let's, let's look at it. By the word of truth, he has begotten us to be the first and most excellent witnesses of that power of good which will shine forth hereafter in the new creation of which we are the first fruits. This is the opposite of being the source of corrupt desires. The word of truth is the good seed of life. Self-will is the cradle of our lust. Its energy can never produce the fruits of divine nature, nor the wrath of man, the righteousness of God. Therefore, we're called to be docile be ready to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, to lay aside all filthiness of the flesh, all energy of iniquity, and to receive the word with meekness. A word which, while it is the word of God, identifies itself with the new nature that is in us, it is planted in us, while forming and developing it according to its own perfection, because this nature itself has its origin from God the word. It is not as a law which is outside us and which being opposed to our sinful nature condemns us. This word saves the soul and it's living and quickening and it works livingly in a nature that flows from it and which it forms and enlightens. It, 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 isn't that great? So I, I think all we've tried to do here is to set this section of scripture and I think Darby has done extremely well, don't you? Yes. Yes. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's let's close in prayer. Uh, Jen, would you close us in prayer, please? Father, we thank you for the creations that you've made us. We thank you for the way you work in us. Not not that we not that we should judge each other, but that we should judge you. Judge you as righteous. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the study of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.